Hello, my name is David Ewan, one of the leaders of the Resurrection Center with Pastors Jose and Melly Martinez. Today I will present a summary of the following books in the New Testament. First of Thessalonians, Second of Thessalonians, First Timmy, Timothy I should say, First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, and James. So for First of Thessalonians, we'll talk about how to keep growing in faith, love, and hope. In Second of Thessalonians, we'll talk about standing firm until his coming, Jesus' coming. In First Timothy, we'll talk about that being the pastor's guide to sound teaching and godliness. In Second Timothy, we'll talk about Paul's solemn charge to carry on the gospel ministry. In the book of Titus, we'll talk about setting up an orderly countercultural church. In Philemon, we'll talk about how to accept a runaway slave as a brother. And in Hebrews, we'll talk about Jesus is greater, so hold fast to him. And in James, we'll talk about lives in the ways that demonstrate faith and uh, in action, I should say. So let's begin with uh, First of Thessalonians. Timothy had good news for Paul. The church they had founded in the city of Thessalonia, or Thessalonica was growing. The members were loving one another. They were standing firm in their beliefs. Uh, they were holding up under persecution for faith. The gospel is sounding forth from their city. Paul is overjoyed to hear this. And with Timothy and others, uh, they, he writes them a letter to encourage and instruct them. So this is one of the most positive letters from Paul to a church. Paul overviews his history and relationship with the church members uh, and commends them for an excellent example and goes on to list ways they can excel still more until Jesus returns. And, and the topics discussed related to sexual morality, understanding the Lord's return, unity, and also basic Christian conduct. The Thess Thessalonians set a good example for churches in the area, and they still set a good example for us today. So Paul opens his letter commending the Thessalonians for their work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. Uh, these are themes that echo throughout this letter, and Paul writes to remind, encourage, and instruct them concerning a few areas of interest. The first one is encouragement for the Thessalonians. So Paul had sent Timothy to them, and Timothy had returned with a glowing report. The Jews in uh, this area had opposed Christianity since it came to the city, and the church there had come under persecution from their own countrymen. But despite the present suffering, the Thessalonians stood firm in their convictions, and Paul commends them. They are following the examples of Paul, the church elders in Judea, and even the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So the, the next thing that was talked about was the expression of Paul's affection for them. So Paul communicates his pride in the Thessalonians, even calling them his glory, <coughs> hope, and joy, and crown. He was both mother and father to this church, and he loves them dearly. Um, and the next thing, um, and the final thing he talked about was instructions for future growth. So the church was setting a fine example, and Paul challenges them to do more and more. 
he reminds them of the hope of Christ's return and lists ways to act until uh, he does. Uh, Paul also points to the return of Jesus through the letter in this particular way. So Paul recalls the Thessalonians turning to Jesus and waiting for his returns. Uh, the Thessalonians will be Paul's hope, joy, and crown when Jesus returns. And Paul prays that their hearts will be established at the coming of Jesus. And Paul wants them to be prepared for the day of the Lord. So here's a quick outline of First of Thessalonians. It's two parts. The first is the commendation for faith, hope, and love. And the second part uh, has to do with the challenge to grow in these areas even more. The first part, commendation for faith, hope, and love, relates to the Thessalonians' example, Paul's history with them, and Timothy's visit and report. Uh, the second part, which is challenge to grow in these areas and even more, this has to do with the love for others, hope for the Lord's return, and finally, preparation for the Lord's return, um, uh, which is what we had talked about before. So that's all I wanted to say about uh, this book in the Bible, which is First of Thessalonians. Now let's turn our attention to the next book in the Bible, which is Second of Thessalonians. So Thessalonians has first and second. So there's First Thessalonians. We just talked about that. Now we're going to talk about Second Thessalonians. So the world just won't let up. The Christians in this area was under fire from all directions, and the Thessalonians were feeling it. The unbelievers outside were still persecuting them. The unbelievers of the city had come after Paul when he first founded the church in the city, and they continued to afflict the church. Paul had already written them a letter to encourage them about this. The church had continued growing in faith and love with the hope that Jesus would return. But now, false teachers were saying that Jesus had already come. The Thessalonians were being told that the day they had hoped for had already passed. They'd been working in faith and laboring in love as they prepared for the day of the Lord. Was all their preparation and suffering in vain? And some of their own had just given in. They were undisciplined doing no work, and yet trying to be involved in everyone else's affairs. This church was very dear to Paul's heart. They were his children in the Lord. So he reaches out to them again with a letter that addresses these three issues. So here's a quick outline of Second of Thessalonians. The first part was how per persecution of the church ends. The second part is what must happen before Jesus returns. And the third part is how to live and work together. So Paul needed to address the three troubles in the church. Um, and so the first one, persecution from outside. Paul puts the church's situation in context. They're being identified with Jesus and therefore the world hates them now. But what happens later when Jesus returns, God will give them relief and judge their persecutors. Jesus will be glorified, so will his saints. What happens when Jesus returns? Justice. The next one is despair from false doctrine. Someone has told the church that Jesus had already returned and gathered his own to him, possibly even by forging a letter from Paul. 
Paul reminds the church of his teachings regarding the return of Jesus and the things that must happen beforehand, including the appearance of the mysterious man of lawlessness. The next part relates to the busybodies in the church. A few Thessalonians had fallen off into undisciplined lives. They weren't working and they weren't holding to Paul's traditions. Some had become busybodies, people getting involved in other work, in, uh, in other people's business, without contributing themselves. Paul reminds them of the example he set, how he worked among them with his own hands. He also leaves instructions for dealing with those who would reject his teachings in this letter. Paul cared about the church he'd established, and the message he sends them still informs the way we should think about Jesus' coming and the work we should do in the meantime. So that's all I wanted to say about this book in the Bible. Now let's turn our attention to the next book in the Bible, and that is 1st of Timothy. So we're going to talk about 1st of Timothy. 1st Timothy is the first of Paul's pastoral epistles, letters written to the church leaders he knew. In contrast, most of Paul's epistles were written to entire congregations. Titus also received a pastoral epistle from Paul, but Timothy got two. That's why we have first of Timothy and second of Timothy. So Timothy has a special relationship with Paul, and it shows. In this letter, and also in 2nd of Timothy, we see Paul's expectations of Timothy. This young church leader is specifically responsible for maintaining Paul's standard of teaching in the church of Ephesus. So here's a quick outline of Timothy. For number one, sound teaching the law and mercy. Number two, living in godliness and dignity, and that involved prayer, marriage, overseers, and deacons. Number three, Paul's reason to write. Number four, sound teaching, discipline, and godliness. Number five, overseeing the church, which involves caring for the widows, honoring the elders, and identifying false teachers. And number six, the charge to godliness. Timothy was Paul's protege, his child in faith. Paul had left Timothy in the city of Ephesus to steer certain men away from false doctrine and provide sound leadership. This is Paul's follow-up letter. 1 Timothy is about the sound doctrine and godliness. Paul deals with two main issues in this epistle. What Christians should, not, should or should not teach, that's one. False teachers had already cropped up in the early church, and Timothy was sure to deal with more of them. Paul encourages Timothy to maintain sound teaching regarding the law and the gospel, gifts from God, and the scriptures. Timothy was also charged with teaching his church to behave in a godly way, which means he spends even more time discussing. The second part is what godliness looks like in the church. From family to finances, from prayer to church leadership, Paul walks through several facets of life and discusses how to go about them in godly ways. The Greek word most commonly translated godliness, or pity, in the New Testament appears eight times in 1 Timothy. It doesn't show up this much in any other book in the Bible. 1 Timothy is a letter to a young church leader with specific instructions on how to fight the good fight. 
This book gives us a look at Paul's instructions regarding the challenges Timothy faced. Challenges many pastors still face today. That's all I wanted to say about this book of the Bible. And this is First of Timothy that we just completed. Now let's turn our attention to the next book in the Bible, and that's Second of Timothy. There were two letters to Timothy. We will now talk about the second letter to Timothy. So let's dive into our discussion of Second of Timothy. So let's first talk about the Apostle Paul. So this is about Apostle Paul. He had devoted his life to spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had fought for sound teaching in the churches. He had trained pastors. He had corrected individuals, churches, and even other apostles. He had testified before kings. Now Paul's work was almost done. He was near the end of his life. But even though Paul would soon leave the world behind, he wasn't leaving the world without a representative for truth. Timothy, Paul's protege, his son in the Lord, needed to carry on Paul's standard of sound teaching. Paul's second letter of Timothy focuses on solemn charges to this young pastor. So, it's four parts. Number one, guard and fight for the gospel. Number two, pursue righteousness. Number three, continue in sound teaching. Number four, preach the word. Let me go into some more detail about <clears throat> Paul's second letter uh, to Timothy. Number one, guard and fight for the gospel. Paul was appointed a preacher, apostle, and teacher of the gospel, and Timothy is responsible for guarding it and entrusting it to others. The road ahead will be fraught with suffering, but Paul encourages Timothy to be strong and fight the good fight. Number two, pursue righteousness. There are a lot of people out there who will try to disrupt Timothy's work and lead people into ungodliness. Timothy and other believers are to accurately handle the word, avoid empty chatter, flee from youthful lusts, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Number three, continue in sound teaching. So this is the apostle environment is coming in the future, and Timothy must remember the scriptures. And number four, to preach the word. Paul's last charge to Timothy is to preach the word. Timothy is not only responsible for keeping church doctrine in line, he also is supposed to bring that teaching to the lost. So the quick outline of Second of Timothy is, number one, guard and maintain the gospel. Number two, fight and suffer for the gospel. Number three, pursue godliness. Number four, continue in sound teaching. Number five, preach the word. That's all I wanted to talk about uh, in Second of Timothy. So we're done with Second of Timothy. Now let's turn our attention to the next book in the Bible. And that book is called Titus. We're now going to talk about Titus. So let's talk. The churches on the island of Crete need leadership, correction, and order. Establishing churches is Paul's forte, but Paul doesn't sail to Crete to organize things. He already has someone on the island he can trust. That man is Titus. Titus is Paul's partner in ministry, a Gentile. 
Like Timothy, Titus is Paul's child of faith. He was introduced to Christ through Paul's ministry. Paul had left Titus in Crete with the purpose to set up order in local churches. This short epistle unpacked that concept in Paul's list of things Titus should do. The first one is to appoint leaders. The second one is instruct people to be sensible. And the third one is to encourage good deeds. So let me go into more detail about uh, Paul's list of things Titus should do. Number one, appoint elders. Paul lists the qualifications of overseers. They're to be upright, responsible, not uh, divisive. Uh, There's a whole list of things Paul expects of church leaders. The next one, number two, instruct people to be sensible. Men and women of all ages have their parts to play in the church, whereas the Cretans are known for being liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And the Christians are to live sensibly, which in turn glorifies God. And finally, number three, encourage good deeds. The Christians are saved, and they should behave like it. But why? Paul concisely argues for godly living. We do what is right in response to God's kindness to us in salvation. The book of Titus is a short guide to setting up order in the local churches of first century Crete. But today, it still gives us a theology of countercultural Christian living. Titus is clearly a, a man that Paul has come to trust. Paul seems to have begun planting churches on the island of Crete, but Titus is specifically responsible for maintaining Paul's standard of teaching in that area. Titus's role is similar to Timothy's, uh, which you can learn about in Paul's first and second uh, letters to him, but he seems to be facing different cultural challenges, namely the Cretans' undisciplined lifestyles. So that's what the book of Titus is about. And that's all I wanted to say about this book uh, in the Bible, Titus. Now let's turn our attention to, uh, to the next book in the Bible, and that is Philemon. So we're going to talk about Philemon now. So Philemon is a good guy. He loves Jesus and the other believers. He is as refreshed in the hearts of many saints. He's a church leader in uh, Colossae uh, area. Uh, Paul even considers him a beloved brother and a fellow worker. Uh, But he's about to find himself in a very awkward situation. Philemon owned a slave. The name of that slave is Onesimus. Onesimus. Onesimus had run away from Philemon and somehow met Paul in his travels. Paul shared the gospel with him, and and Onesimus uh, had been saved. Onesimus then stayed with Paul and assisted him while he was in prison. But Paul sends the runaway slave back to his old master. Onesimus is going to show up on Philemon's doorstep with a note from Paul. This message urges him to do something unheard of. Forgive Onesimus and accept him as a brother, not a slave. For the most part, Paul's letter fall into two neat categories, letters to congregations and letters to pastors. In our Bibles, the letters to congregations come first and the pastoral epistles follow. Then when we're left with Philemon, Philemon is a hybrid. The main thrust of the letter is to Philemon, an individual church leader. 
So here's a quick overview of Philemon. Number one, Paul greets and affirms Philemon. Paul requests that o Onesimus, the slave, be accepted as a brother, and Paul anticipates Philemon's obedience. That's all I wanted to say about uh, this book in the Bible, Philemon. Now let's turn our attention to the next book in the Bible, Hebrews. So we're talking about Hebrews now. The book of Hebrews is a long list uh, of reasons to cling to Jesus. Hebrews was written for Christians who had been in the church for a while. These folks knew about angels, the Old Testament heroes, the devil, and Moses' tabernacle, but someone thought they needed to know a little bit more. Hebrews is about Jesus' supremacy. No other book in the Bible is so powerfully demonstrative in terms of Jesus' supremacy. Throughout Hebrews, the author compares Jesus to the heroes and icons of the Jewish faith. Each hero played a part, but his sacrifice, his covenant, and his current ministry are far, far greater than anything the others have to offer. For example, Jesus is greater than the angels because he is the divine king. Jesus is greater than Moses because while Moses was a servant of God, Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is greater than Joshua because Jesus brings a greater rest to the people of God. Jesus is a greater priest than Aaron because he is sinless and immortal. Hebrews is well known for its 11th chapter, which has been nicknamed the Hall of Faith. This chapter is a long list of Old Testament characters who, through faith, accomplished many great things and bore up under great tribulation. This chapter cites Abraham, Moses, many characters from the book of Judges, and others as examples of what God can accomplish through our faith. That's all I wanted to say about this book in the Bible, Hebrews. Now let's turn our attention to the next book in the Bible, James. So we're going to talk about James. Imagine you grew up learning the law of Moses, doing good works and observing the commands that God had given to his people in Israel. Now, all of a sudden, you're told that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, the seeking Savior whose death on the cross covers your sin, and all you have to do is believe in him. Now, imagine seeing non-Jews grafted into the people of God, which is the church. They don't all keep your, your Sabbaths. They're not all circumcised. They don't even know the law, but they're just as much a part of God's people as you are because they had faith. If this were you, you might wonder if God even cared about good works anymore. The Apostle James meets this line of thought head on. Faith without works is dead. He writes a letter to the Christians, Jews, scattered across the world, encouraging them to keep the faith and press onward to good works. So here's a quick outline of James. Number one, trials and temptation. Number two, true religion. Number three, favoritism and judgment. Number four, faith and works. Number five, teachers and the tongue. Number six, 
submission to God. Number seven, strength and anticipation. So today we talked about a lot of books in the Bible. We talked about first of Thessalonians, second of Thessalonians, first Timothy, second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, and James. That wraps it up for our Bible 101 session for today. My name is David Ewan, one of the leaders of the Resurrection Center with Pastors Jose and Meli Martinez, and this is K-Radio.